the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 262 CP, Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. There is a third form of persecution that Jesus spoke of. In verse 11, he said, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Now, this is similar to verbal insults, but it's a little different. These are false accusations. This is this is what's known as slander. This is a really hard type of persecution because it's intentional It's malicious, often malicious slander. It's designed to defame our character and to destroy our reputation. And and this one hurts. This one hurts. Glass, china, and reputation are easily cracked and never well mended. This statement from Benjamin Franklin summarizes well just how easy it is to destroy someone's reputation. And unfortunately, great damage can even come from accusations that simply aren't true. Many countries, in an effort to protect the reputations of the innocent, have established certain laws against publishing malicious lies. Yet, according to Christ, damaging false accusations are part of the persecutions that his disciples should expect from the world. Thank you for joining us today on Verse by Verse. Our teacher, Steve Kreloff, is nearing the end of his series on the Beatitudes, but there is still much to be said about the eighth and final one. If you want to follow along in your Bible, you can open to Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. Now, let's join the study as Pastor Steve discusses, Blessed are those who have been persecuted. Now, in addition to these types of direct insults, we experience another type of insult by what the media today portrays Christians to be. If you notice, we are almost always depicted on television or in the movies as uh, people who are self-righteous, hypocritical, bigoted, crooked, and right-wing extremists. And, and, and words to that effect, you, you, you never or rarely ever see someone who looks normal if they're a believer. They're, they're usually someone who denounces immorality, but they're having an affair on the side. Something like that. So when you're verbally abused, you know what? Take courage in the fact you're, you're not alone. Not only do fellow believers experience this, but Jesus himself, was verbally insulted. Much of his attack came not not in the form of just being beaten. I mean, that was at the end. That's the crucifixion. But in his ministry, he was verbally attacked and, and assaulted. For example, he was accused of being demonic, remember? They said that he cast out demons by Satan. Listen, there's no greater insult than that. That he's the son of God, the pure son of God is is called, he's told that that he's following Lucifer. He was accused of being born out of wedlock. We know who our parents are. Implication is you don't. He's accused of being a Samaritan. They were a despised people. And it wasn't just ethnic 
bigotry, though part of it was that, but they, they were a, a apostate people embracing paganism. Be called a Samaritan was not a compliment. He's accused of blaspheming because he dared to claim that he was equal with God the Father. The truth. He was blasphemed. He said he was a blasphemer because of that. And when Jesus stood before the Sanhedrin after his arrest in Matthew chapter 26, we're told that not only do they spit in his face, not only do they beat him with their fists and, and slap him, but the Bible tells us that he was verbally taunted. He was actually mocked. And you know how they mocked him? They, they said to him, prophesy to us, you Christ, who's the one who hit you? Now that's being verbally attacked. As they slapped him around, you, you're, you're a prophet, you're the Christ, tell us who did it. And in Mark 15, we read that the Roman soldiers also mocked Jesus as they beat him and spit on him by kneeling and bowing before him while they said, Hail, King of the Jews. Jesus was verbally assaulted. So you're not alone. Persecution comes in the form often of insulting words. That's what our Lord experienced, and that's what you'll experience at, at times. That just goes with the territory. But there's a second type of persecution that Jesus spoke of. In verse 11, when he used the word itself, persecution, he said, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you. In using this word persecution, the Lord essentially is just broadening the concept of the world's persecution by saying it goes beyond verbal, verbal attacks. He's teaching that persecution encompasses any kind of mistreatment. And that's really what the word itself means. It means harassed or, or being mistreated. In other words, there's no, there's no limit to, how, to the forms. It, it, there's no boundaries. It comes in a host of shapes and, and intensities. There, there are just a variety of ways. No end to how you might suffer for the faith. And all you have to do is look at the many different ways that the early Christians suffered for their faith. Some of them were, were beaten, as were the apostles. They were beaten. Paul, we know, was, was beaten many times, physically beaten. Some were, were actually murdered. Stephen was the first one, first martyr. But there was James and then, then others later on under, under Nero. Some had their property confiscated by the government. We're told that in Hebrews chapter 10. What a horrible thing to go through. You go home to your house and the government comes and takes away your stuff, all because you're a believer. Some were thrown in jail. Not because they were disobedient to the government, but simply because they believed in Christ. Hebrews 10 tells us that. And some, interestingly enough, were even excommunicated from the synagogue. Now, that may not mean a great deal to you, but that is a very important form of persecution that the early church went through. And there's a principle for us that is very, very applicable. I'd like you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 16. Uh, we've seen before the last few verses or at least the last section, most of it, of John 15, in which Jesus speaks about how the world will hate you because it hated me. And if you are of the world, the world would love its own, but I've taken you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. But we stopped, actually, at verse 25. In chapter 16, Jesus is still speaking about this, and I want to read this to you and explain, and you'll see how it pertinent it is to you. Verse uh, 1 says, These things, these things meaning truths about persecution. I've spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. I'm telling you these things he's saying ahead of time so that when persecution comes, you're not blown away. You don't say, well, we didn't know. We just thought it's going to be a great time without Christ. We'd have the Holy Spirit in us. We have all these great promises. Jesus is saying, I'm telling you this now so that when it comes, 
You're not surprised. You're not disillusioned. You're not saying, oh, he didn't tell us how difficult it would be. There must be something wrong with us. On the contrary, there's something right with you. That's why you can expect it. So he said, I've spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. And here's what he says. They will make you outcast from the synagogue. But an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he's offering service to God. These things they will do to you because they have not known the Father or me. But these things I've spoken to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you, meaning that while I'm with you, I'll take the brunt of the persecution. But I'm about to leave, so you need to understand that it's, it's going to happen to you. Now, let's think about this. The Lord warns these disciples that they could expect opposition from their religious leaders. They're going to make you outcasts from the synagogue. Now, that may not mean a whole lot to us. Some of you may have never, I, I doubt if most of you have ever even been in a synagogue. But keep in mind, these were Jewish men. To be put out of the synagogue was to be cut off from their world. They were raised in the synagogue. It would mean now to be rejected by their community, rejected by their friends, rejected by their, their, their very family. Remember, these men, they didn't have big metropolises like we had today. We have today, and people didn't, didn't move from one part of the country to the next. They grew up in, in these villages, and um, they, that's the world that they knew. And in fact, probably most of the people living in your village uh, would be related to you. It's sort of like rural America, but even on a wider scale. And now you mean because of your faith in Christ, you're going to be ostracized. You're going to be thrown out of the synagogue. You're going to be cut off from everybody you've ever known, from your whole world. And it will affect your business because who do you sell to? Who do you trade with? This is a, a horrible thing. No wonder Jesus said, I'm saying this to you so that you won't stumble. Life is going to be difficult. Now. This is, by the way, this is, this is a forerunner of the concept of church discipline. This is supposed to be how church discipline works, only you're supposed to repent and then embrace back by the church. But even if you've never been officially excommunicated from the religious organization you grew up in, some of you still know the pain that comes from the rejection by parents and family members who, who hold now to a different faith. Some of you come from Catholic homes or Jewish homes or liberal Protestant homes or homes where, where your parents were atheists or agnostic and there's nothing going on there religiously. And in coming to Christ, you've become, you have now uh, taken on their anger. You've been the recipients of their annoyance. How could you do this to us? You're an embarrassment to this whole family. Didn't we raise you right? We sent you to school to learn the right things. We, we gave you religious education. We went to church, synagogue each Sunday. What an embarrassment. What, what are our relatives? What are our friends going to think? Do you realize what you've done to this family? In fact, you may not know this, but in Orthodox Jewish families, that if a child of Orthodox parents comes to faith in Christ, it is very, very common for the parents to hold a literal funeral. Because in their minds, that child is dead to us. They don't talk about that child anymore. He may be living and doing well. He may have uh, grown up and, and married and had grandchildren, but they will have nothing to do with, with that child. Nothing. If you've ever seen uh, Fiddler on the Roof, you'll see a, l a little bit of that, although it wasn't because of the faith. 
But that's, that happens. That's a common occurrence in, in Orthodox Jewish homes. They will pay for a funeral. So listen, by saying that his disciples could expect to be thrown out of synagogues, Jesus was teaching an important truth for us to understand that some of the strongest persecution to being a Christian comes from those who are religious, but without Jesus Christ. They think that they're serving God by harming you. So don't be shocked when it comes. I mean, you look historically. Historically, the greatest persecutor of true believers has been the Roman Catholic Church. Now, that may, that may hurt some people. Every time I mention the Roman Catholic Church, I, I usually hear somebody, why do you have to say Because that's the truth. That's the truth. They're persecuted. So don't be shocked by it. Remember, it was the Pharisees who gave Jesus the most trouble. Don't be surprised by religious persecution because religion, with its works, salvation of human effort, is no friend of Christ and the gospel of God's grace. Religion hates the gospel. Religion despises it because the gospel is about God's grace. Religion is about about human effort. Religion exalts the individual. The gospel exalts Christ. And since they really hate Christ, they're going to direct the fury towards us. So we've seen that persecution comes to us in two forms. The form, number one, of verbal insults. They will insult you verbally. Secondly, any kind of mistreatment, which is under the broad heading of persecution for the sake of Christ. But there is a third form of persecution that Jesus spoke of. In verse 11, he said, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Now, this is similar to verbal insults, but it's a little different. These are false accusations. This is, this is what's known as slander. This is a really hard type of persecution because it's intentional It's malicious, often malicious slander. It's designed to defame our character and to destroy our reputation. And and this one hurts. This one hurts. The first Christians, you know, they experienced this type of slander. Do you realize that they were called atheists? They were called atheists because they did not worship a visible deity like the rest of the Roman and Greek world. They're also wrongly accused of being immoral. Now, why would they be wrongly accused of being immoral? Because they met in secret places to celebrate something called the Lord's Supper. And on top of that, they had these feasts called love feasts. What does that sound like? It sounds like they're behind the scenes involved in orgies. And so they were accused of that. They're also called unpatriotic because they refused to worship the Roman emperor. So so believers took it. This is how they were slandered. And you know what? Jesus himself was slandered. Jesus himself was slandered. He was falsely accused of being gluttonous and a drunkard. Could you imagine? We've all got mental pictures of of someone who's gluttonous. Jesus was accused of that. Jesus was accused of being a drunkard. We all have mental pictures of someone who's who's a drunkard, can't stand up straight, slobbering, can't get the words out. That's what our Lord, the perfect son of God, was accused of. So folks, when you're accused of being something that you are not, or doing something that you, that you didn't do. You need to understand, once again, the reason behind these attacks is it's not personal. It's just that your life has had some radical changes in it, and the world is not going to sit by and lose one of their own without commenting on it. And there's a great scripture on this. First Peter, I'd like you to see this. First Peter chapter 4 addresses this. Peter's whole letter is centered around suffering in general, but specifically persecution. 
But I want you to see this. This is, this is, really, this is really significant. Peter says in verse 3 of chapter 4, for the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. What Peter is saying is, listen, the time is over. You don't behave like that anymore. Anyone who behaves like that is not a believer. Anyone who lives that lifestyle is not a believer. That's the mark of being an unbeliever. And the time has passed. You live like that, but when you came to Christ, you, you denounced the old self and you have been raised to a newness of life. However, look at verse four. In all this, they, meaning the people you ran with, you did those things with, they're surprised that you do not run with them into the same excess of dissipation. Your, your non-Christian friends don't understand why you don't do the things you used to do. Why do you don't, why do you, you uh, don't go to parties with them and get drunk. Why you don't go to strip places with them. Why you're not involved in pornographic material and things of that nature. They don't understand that. And you know what? They're not taking it easily. Look at the end of verse four. And they malign you. They defame your character. They resent it. And so they're going to defame your reputation with false accusations. They're not going to say, Hey, man, that's cool. You do whatever you want. I'll do what I want. They don't do that because your life is now a rebuke to them. And that's why they're going to say, oh, I suppose you're too holy. You're holier than thou. You can't do this kind of stuff. Oh, I suppose you're looking down upon me. And so they're going to they're going to attack you. John Blanchard writes this commenting on this type of personal attack. It says when a man no longer uses foul language or swaps dirty jokes, when a businessman refuses any longer to engage in sharp practice, when a trader stops cutting corners, when Sunday is suddenly set apart for public worship, it will not be long before the world reacts. Those who begin living transformed lives are likely to be accused of everything from fanaticism to Phariseeism. Man, you're legalistic and you're a fanatic. See, no matter, and and here's the reality, no matter how careful you are to protect your testimony, to lead a blameless life, you can be certain that somewhere someone is going to accuse you of something that you are not guilty of. It's going to happen. There was no man who was more protective of his testimony than the Apostle Paul. Paul was a former Pharisee, a Jewish man, a a former rabbi who, who now moved in the Gentile world. They were, the Gentiles are already suspicious of, of Jews, but now here comes this, this, this uh, apostle to them, this representative of Jesus Christ. Paul was very careful. That's one reason why he worked. And he worked as a tent maker and did not take money from any of the churches. They worked with, he didn't want anybody to, to even accuse him of the wrong motives. Paul was very, very protective of that. And I, I want you to see in 2 Corinthians 6 what happens. In 2 Corinthians 6, verse 3, you just see Paul's heart. He, goes, he says this, and I think this is a great statement, especially for those in, in the ministry, but certainly for all Christians. He says, giving no cause for offense in anything. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do anything that would bring cause for offense so that the ministry will not be discredited. Paul was very concerned that, that people didn't look at his life and say, well, if he's in the ministry, then I don't want anything to do with the gospel. 
He says in verse 4, but in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance and afflictions and hardships and distresses. Paul said, I'm willing to suffer so that nobody would get the wrong notion about the gospel, about the ministry, about Christ. And yet you read 2 Corinthians, and it is a book in which Paul has to defend himself from all kinds of false accusations, all kinds of slanderous um, accusations against him. He, in this letter, he's, he's told, he's accused of not keeping his word, being a liar. He's accused of preaching a false gospel, gospel of grace rather than law. He's accused of lacking courage. They said, yeah, his letters have weight, but when you, when you see him in person, he's, uh, he's a weakling. They accused him of stealing from them. In 2 Corinthians 12, 16 and 17, he sarcastically says, crafty fellow that I am. Meaning, yeah, I encourage you to get an offering for the poor Jewish people in the church at Jerusalem, but I'm taking off the top. I'm pocketing some of the money. That's what they accused him of, these false teachers, and, uh, and the church bought into it. They accused him of being a fake apostle, and, and on and on it goes uh, throughout, throughout the whole letter. See, it's inevitable. No matter what you do, you will be falsely accused. No matter what, if you follow the Lord, you'll be accused. Listen, if the perfect son of God couldn't avoid slander, being accused of being gluttonous and a drunkard, then don't think you're going to escape it. The issue is make sure it's not true. That's the real issue. That's the message, by the way, of First Peter. Make sure you're blameless. Make sure that whatever they say about you is not valid. What they said about Paul wasn't true. And there are times where people are just going to believe what they want to believe. But you have to just do what's right. Make sure it's not accurate. So it's going to happen. And when it does happen, what you want to keep from is being bitter, taking it personal, getting angry towards those who slander you. And once again, the key here is to remember, it's not about you. It may look like it's about you, but it's not. It's about Jesus himself. You're being attacked because you're a follower of Christ. And that's why, that's why Jesus closed verse 11 with these words. Another reminder, because of me. They just resent that your life reflects his character. That's why. Keep in mind, the world has no problem with, with decency, good citizenship, even, even good morals in its place. They have no problem with that. What they do have a problem with is Christ's righteousness, is holiness, It's someone who is uh, zealous to follow Jesus Christ and and being upright in motives and heart. That is what rebukes them. Nearly 2,000 years ago, English preacher Thomas Scott said these words, the wicked hate the holy image of God and those who bear it. His holy truth and those who profess and preach it. His holy law and those who stand up for its obligations and authority. His holy ordinances and those who attend on them. You know what's fascinating, though? Regardless of what the world says about us, Jesus said in verse, uh, verses 10 and 11 that we're blessed. We've been blessed by God. Now, isn't that interesting? The world curses us, but God blesses us. Arthur Pink, commenting on this in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, says this, It is a strong proof of human depravity that men's curses and Christ's blessings should meet on the same persons. But they do. They meet on us. And it's all right. You know why? Because it really doesn't matter what the world says to us. What matters is what God says about us. That's, that's all that's really important. But keep in mind, how you respond to what the world says about you is very important. What they say 
in substance really doesn't matter. But how you respond to what they say, that is critical. Your testimony is at stake. God's word is at stake. And that's why Jesus closed verse, uh, closed this beatitude, the eighth beatitude in verse 12, by telling us how we should respond to persecution. It is very difficult to patiently endure injustice and lies. Our human urge is to lash back at those who treat us wrongly, or at least to strive diligently to set the record straight. Yet Jesus himself gave us a very different example. He endured far greater injustice than we will ever face, even though his life and character were truly perfect in every way. Still, as Peter states, he did not revile in return while suffering. He uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Jesus fully expected persecution from the world, and he patiently trusted the Father to set things straight in his own time. We're glad that you could join us today for Verse by Verse. Verse by Verse is committed to providing sound biblical teaching that will provide God's eternal answers to the perplexing problems and questions that we face in life. If you have been strengthened by this radio ministry, would you prayerfully consider partnering with us financially? We depend upon contributions from our listeners in order to sustain these radio broadcasts. To find out more about how you can help or any other questions you might have regarding this ministry, please give us a call. The phone number is 727-239-0306. How can we find comfort in the fact Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.